Hello and welcome to the Foundry Church podcast. Uh, My name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church. And we are so glad that you found us, whether you've been a part of our community for a while or whether you're just stumbling across us on the internet somewhere, whether you've been a Christian for a very long time or maybe you are just discovering or rediscovering uh, what a life of faith looks like for you. Welcome, we're glad that you're here. Uh, What you're about to hear is a message from our current sermon series called Life After Death, where we're taking a look at what it means to die to the self so that we can step into the fullness of life that Jesus calls us to. Let's get to it. Good morning. Welcome. I'm so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name is Seth. This is the Foundry, where we are all about a better you and a better world. And I have my headset and my microphone on today. Thank you. Thank you. Celebrate the small things. Uh, We are in week five of our series that we're calling Life After Death, where we're talking about the life that is found after the death of self. Um, do you want to know what one of, one of the annoying things about being a preacher is? Just, thank you. Um, is when the words that you say on stage get used against you in real life. <laughs> this week, we, I was talking with my wife, and we were talking about, we're talking about doing this trail race in October in Gainesville, and there's two different distances. There's a 15-mile run and a 30-mile run, and the 30-mile run's like this, it's called ultramarathon, and I really like that title, ultramarathon. It speaks to my ego and my pride, like I can do this, um, and, but I'm kind of debating which one to do because I'm on the fence because like I'm not where I should be to do the race like comfortably, I think I could do it, but I think it might kill me. So I'm like, I'm not sure, I'm running out of time to train, all this stuff. And so in the middle of all this back and forth and weighing all this stuff out, my wife said, hey, um, how about you die to the self and do the half, do the 15 with me and we can do that together. To which I replied, don't clap for that. (laughs) To which I replied in all of my wisdom, why don't you die to yourself? <laughs> Tell me what to do. So last week we were talking about the monarch migration and how it's this like multi-generational process. We talked about this idea, that the fact that you exist speaks to the idea that you, that we are part of something greater than the self. We talked about how we can't change the past, we can't predict the future, but we can live in a way now that we can participate in the now in a way that allows us to affect the things, the people, the world that comes after us. So this week, I want us to move on, and I want to talk about the migration process again, but instead of talking about it from like the collective humanity perspective, I want to talk about it from like the individual perspective for, for us personally, right? By the way, um, speaking about the monarchs and their migration, I found out this week some, some bad news. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but as of July of this year, like within a month, just over a month ago, uh, the, the monarchs were officially placed on the endangered species list. Yeah, yeah, so like uh, maybe plant some more milkweed, maybe stop spewing chemicals into the air, maybe stop wiping out the forest, you know, like better you, better world. Like God has entrusted us this gift, this responsibility, like we should probably do better with that. So 
last week we talked about how this migration process works. There's, there's four generations that it takes to make this 3,000 mile trek from Mexico all the way up to Canada. And then there's this last generation that they call the super generation that makes the trek from Canada all the way down to Mexico for the, like, to winter so that then they can begin the process again the following spring. So I want to point out two things here, like kind of on a personal note. The first one's just cool. The second one's kind of where we're going with like this whole, whole message. So number one is how do they know where to go? How do they know where to go? How do they do this? How do they do this like navigation of this 3,000 miles, especially when they've never been to where they're going or they don't know where they're starting? And like, how does, how does that work? Are they playing telephone and they're passing on directions? Um, so uh, we, we know, we talked about last week, there's essentially the monarch has two kind of like internal clocks. It has what's known as the circanial clock, which is circannual clock, which is like the seasonal clock. So they know when it's spring, they know when the migration has begun, they get a sense of the seasons, whatever, and then in the winter, they know like it's changing, so we need to start heading south for the winter. The, the other thing, the other clock that they have happening uh, in, in this whole thing is this, it's like a solar compass that can tell time. It's a solar compass that, that can tell time. So the way it works, and I'm not an expert here, like I need to explain that. I'm, I'm just passing along the information, right? Uh, so basically, the, the, the main navigation trick is that the monarch is reading the hor- horizontal position of, of the sun uh, in, in like, according to the horizon, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, this is the main way they navigate the, the whole thing. The problem with this is, if you're just trying to follow the sun, as you know, the sun moves across the sky, or rather, it actually, we're, we're moving and the sun stays still, but from our perspective, the sun travels from east to west, right? We get that. So in order, I can't just follow the sun and get to where I'm going because the sun is moving, so then I'll be moving. So in order to do that, in order to use the sun to position themselves, they have to know what time it is. What scientists have discovered is that they actually have like a little watch clock in their antenna. Their antenna helps them to determine what time of day it is so that they can position themselves accordingly, according to the position of the sun, and then, and then navigate their way home, right? I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. So let's say, let's say you're, you're the beautiful monarch butterfly, and you're not just any monarch, you are the super generational monarch. So you have been gifted and tasked with this mission to like get the species from Canada all the way home to Mexico. So let's say you're the monarch, and let's say we're, you're in Canada, right? The back of the building's Canada, and let's say up here is like Mexico. This is where we're going, okay? So I'm gonna turn my back so this is less confusing, just a little bit. So if we're all heading south for the winter, right? Uh, and, and we're going to use the sun to guide us and position ourselves so that we can know which direction we're going, my little antenna, our little antennas, if it's like nine o'clock, right, the sun's coming up over here, and we see, we we know that it's nine o'clock, well, then I know in order to head south, I have to keep the sun on the left side of my body. That's how I go, right? Now, if I get, if for some reason I'm like, oh, no, well, I'm just going to use the sun, and I just have to keep the sun on the left side of my body, as the sun moves, we're going to keep going in the wrong direction, aren't we? Right? So as the sun moves across the sky, now we know it's like 4 o'clock. Then that, because I know it's 4 o'clock, that tells me I need to position the sun on the right side of my body. And then I can continue, we can continue our journey south. Right? It's fascinating. These things have a sesame seed-sized seed brain. And they have this little antenna watch. And that's how they navigate this whole trip. It's fascinating. What's also interesting to me is that the monarch caterpillars don't have this. 
they have antennas or, or, or tentacles, but as a caterpillar, their antennas are used for like sensing because they have very bad eyesight. So they use the antennas to like sense and smell and find food and stuff. Which to me actually, like if you want to kind of spiritualize this whole thing, this like goes back to this constant thought that we keep talking about. That as we die to the self, as we, as we die to the self, well for them, as they die to the self, they, they go through the metamorphosis process, they dissolve the self, and in doing so, they are gifted with this GPS like system, this clock that they can navigate. For us, if we spiritualize it, kind of seems to me like, like the gift of the Holy Spirit. That as we die to the self in Christ, there is this spirit that is there to help guide us, to help direct us, to help keep us on track and target as we navigate our lives. Now, here's the second thing uh, about this migration process for us personally is that the only way that this whole journey is made by this species is through each and every generation, through each and every stage of the journey north, that they continue to dissolve the, the, the dissolving process. The only way they move forward is through this rep repeating cycle of death and then new life. Death and then new life. Death and then new life. For us, we're on this journey called life. The way that we make progress, the way we move forward personally, the way we move forward spiritually is by continually dying to the self. This is not a one-time event. This is not a one-time thing. This is something that we must work on every day, every week, every year as we go through the various stages of life, as we, as we face various legs of our journey, right? It's great that I died to myself when it came to the conversation with my wife and her calling me out on the race. That's fantastic. By the way, I signed us up both for the, the half, so that's fantastic. I feel, I feel good about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now I have to die to the pride that says that I feel good about that. I'm working on it. That was last week. That was last week. This is something that I must continue to do on and on and over and over again. If I want to continue to reveal the image of God that's been placed within me, then I must dissolve the self throughout my life. It's this process. It's an ongoing process. It's a repeating cycle and pattern. It's something that I must continue to participate in if I want to continue my journey north, if I want to continue to grow in my faith, if I want to continue to develop into the thing that God created me to be. Now, there's this interesting situation in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is having this conversation. Uh, he's hanging out, and, and these Pharisees, religious leaders, they begin to ask him some questions about things. Actually, they like start putting stuff on him. Matthew chapter 12, I want you to see this. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the religious people are looking to Jesus and, and, and going, like, prove yourself to us. Give us a sign. Like, uh, 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 defend your authority. He has the opportunity here to go, okay, whoop, look at this, rabbit out of the hat. Let me, you want to see water turned into wine? What do you want me to do? Like, like are you not impressed? He can, he can do that. But what does he do here? He says, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to do that, actually. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, which is what? Which is this dying to the self, this picture of death and rebirth, a picture of death and new life. 
And actually, if you, if you think back through the story of Jonah, like if you actually read through it, what you end up seeing is that there is a continual process and pattern of dying to the self or where he should have died to the self. If you think back to the story of Jonah, God calls him to a mission. He tries to run. He, he goes the opposite direction. Uh, th this causes problems. He ends up on a boat. They're in the middle of this storm. And then Jonah finally like, admits that like, he's the problem. So he allows himself to be thrown overboard into like, this stormy water, essentially to die. Then he's swallowed by the big fish where he's like dying to the self for three days. Then he's spit onto the shore where he comes to understand his purpose and his calling. He goes to Nineveh to call the people to repentance and he's not happy about that, something that he must die to. And then when the city does repent, he's not happy about that. So there's another thing that he must die to. So all along the way, what we see is it's his ego, his pride, his self, that's preventing him from becoming who God wanted him to be. Now, God still uses him, but he wasn't real happy about it, and he didn't have a great experience because of it. And really, yeah, I realized something about this story this week that, that I've never really thought of, and this is like in line with something we talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about how this idea of like life being this Rorschach test and how like the, the image is neutral, but then we're putting, we're putting these past experiences onto that thing, right? And then that's how we experience it. I think we actually see this idea in the story of Jonah, right? In chapter four, after Nineveh repents and, and God forgives them, Jonah's actually upset that God forgave them. He's projecting his past experiences because he has a particular understanding of the Assyrians. They were nasty people. They were not nice people. They were very mean people. And so he's really bothered that God has done this. He's so upset, in fact, Jonah chapter four, verse three. He says, now, Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than it is to live. Jonah, by the way, I think is a bit dramatic. Like, he's, he's like, he's an over-the-top kind of, everything's like, oh, just kill me. I don't even want it. So anyways, watch how God responds. This is fascinating. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Like, what, what's, what's your, you're upset that I forgave some people? Like, this really doesn't have much to do with you. Like you're taking this like super personal. This doesn't really have anything to do with you. And then it happens again. Jonah goes outside of the city and he's like watching the city to see what's gonna happen. And then he like just hanging out. And then God causes this big plant to grow up over him and give him the shade and it's everything's good. He's sitting in the shade enjoying the moment. And then the next morning, God sends this like worm to eat the vine, to eat this bush so that it dies. And now Jonah's exposed to the elements. Okay, watch what happens the next day. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, <laughs> here's the drama again, it would be better for me to die than to live. Okay, now, watch what happens. God says this, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? <laughs> it is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Like, he's drama queen here, verse 10. God said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. So Jonah gets upset because God forgives the people of Nineveh. And God's like, what, what, what? Is it right for you to be angry? And then Jonah gets upset because this plant that he had nothing to do with grew up and then it also died. He had nothing to do with that. God's like, why, why do you keep making this all about you? Jonah, Jonah thinks the whole thing is about him, and God's like, you're so concerned about these things that you have nothing really to do with. Like, maybe you should let it go. Is it right for you to be angry about this? It doesn't really concern you. 
So the religious people, they come to Jesus, they say, give us a sign, prove, prove, uh, prove yourself to us, validate your existence, prop up the self, defend the identity, feed the ego, and Jesus says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, which is to say that it's only when you die to the self that you find the life that comes after death. And ultimately, this is an ongoing, continual process. This would be a bit like going to Michael Buble. Yeah, I don't know why, but you go to Michael Buble and you're like, hey, prove to us you're Michael Buble. Sing us a song, Michael. Sing us an old-timey, jazzy Christmas carol with some like funk and jazz to it so we can sit by the fire and sip some coffee and listen to your song, drink some eggnog. And then Michael would go, oh, you want a song? Oh, you want a song? Well, I'm gonna go plant a garden. Be like, what? (laughs) That's not what you do, Michael Buble. You sing Christmas carols. That's what you do. What are you doing? It would be equally upsetting if he was like, I'm just gonna do a country album. You'd be like, no, 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 no. Christmas. That's what we like you for, Christmas. So it's interesting to me how we, self included, obviously, we have this like strong, strong desire to continually need to prove ourselves, don't we? We have this need to be validated, this need to like defend the self. What creates the self? This kind of goes into that like nature versus nurture conversation, doesn't it? That part of who you are is determined by the genetic code that was passed down to you by your parents, and then part of who you are is determined by the like environment that you were raised in or the world that you're currently living in. And there's been this ongoing debate for like a whole lot of time, like which one's more important, which one carries the most value, which one has the most influence? Is it nature, is it nurture, whatever? I heard a guy say it this way the other day. He said, how do you measure like, like the area of a field? Is it by length or is it by width? You need both, don't you? You need both of them. This is, this is how it works. So between your genetic makeup and your environment, you develop this particular sense of self. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I see the world. We've developed this sense, uh, this, this, this sense of self and who we think we are based on two factors that are pretty much outside of our ability to, to control. Then we take this self and we develop our list of likes and don't likes, our list of wants and desires, our particular worldview, and then we base our quality or our experience of this life on whether or not the universe aligns with this concept of the self that we have that was determined by things that were beyond our control. Like, (laughs) it seems a bit ridiculous when you put it in these terms, doesn't it? Like, what are we we doing? I just want to die. Is it right for you to be angry? Like, is it right for you to be angry? It actually seems a bit ridiculous. And, and, and the thing about it is that most of our, like, frustration, anxiety, like, suffering, this comes from this place of, of like, the desires of the self. When your desires are not met, there is this frustration and suffering. And then when your desires are met, there's, like, a different kind of frustration and stress or suffering. Right? I mean, think about it. The self continually has this desire for more. If I could just get this or get that, if I could just do this or do that, then I would be happy. Then my life would be good. And then you come to realize that when you get that thing, that this thing that you were putting so much weight and pressure on, like when it's not all that it's cracked up to be, it's like, what, what, am, I, what am I even doing? There's like it's almost like there's stress and frustration and suffering on either side of that desire. Oh, I don't have enough money. There's stress and anxiety and suffering and frustration. 
But then if you get a lot of money, there's a lot of stress and frustration and suffering because now you've got things like taxes. Now you've got a lot of people that are looking for, hey, 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 right? Oh, you don't have a job. There's worry and anxiety and suffering. And then you get a job and there's stress and worry, anxiety and suffering because now you're killing yourself trying to make the money that you think will make you happy. Or you want the new car or the new house or the new boat or the new couch. There's this suffering or this frustration or this stress that I really wish I could have these things that'll help me feel better or that'll improve my quality of life. And then you get the new house, the new boat, the new car, the new couch. And then there's like this other suffering because now you have like this payment where the kids spilled something in a new car that you wouldn't have cared about in the old minivan. But now we can't tolerate the spilling of the Cheerios because now they're gonna grind it into the new carpet. It's really frustrating, right? Or even, you know, like if you're single, there's this stress and suffering. If you get married, there's this joy and excitement. <laughs> Only. <laughs> Good save, Seth. So the self keeps looking to the external for a sense of validation for a sense of identity, for a sense of affirmation. And in doing so, the result can only be pain or stress or frustration or suffering. When you attach yourself to things outside of the self, whether you get or don't get, whether you have or don't have, have the end result kind of ends up being the same, which is usually some form of stress or frustration or suffering. This is like, this is like the ultimate form of slavery, isn't it? You become the slave to the external because you allow these things to determine how you will live and how you will experience this life. Yes, you may be free to come and go. Yes, you may be free to make your own decisions, but it's the self that's keeping you captive because you're allowing for all of these external things to determine your life. For example, you didn't get the job you were hoping for. Well, now I'm sad. Now I'm frustrated. Now I'm depressed. Now I'm doubting my value. Now that's affecting and determining how I will feel and how I will experience my moments going forward. Right? Same thing with your relationships. When you operate from the ego or the self, when, when you're finding this, this validation in them, right, from others, from your parents, from your family, from your kids, from your coworkers, from your friends, they become the determining factor for your experience of this life. Are they happy with me? Are they upset with me? Did I do the right thing or the wrong thing in their eyes? What did they think? Or if I refuse to die to the self and continually feel the need to defend or protect or justify the self, then in every situation, I become a slave to that situation. That external thing is now determining my response, how I will live, how I will feel. Or if I'm watching the news. Now, you know what I don't understand about people's addiction to the news? is that I've never heard or seen somebody who's just got done watching the news go, hey, you know what? I feel really good about things. <laughs> I'm like super refreshed and recharged and like I read this article, I heard this story, whatever, and man, like I'm just so optimistic about the future of this planet. Like it's fantastic, I love it. I've never, never come across somebody in this situation, right? And I'm not saying like be ignorant about things that are happening in the world. Of course, we need to pay attention. That's fine, do that, yes. But next time you're reading or watching or listening to some sort of news, like pay attention to what's going on in here. What's happening in the self? Are you getting agitated, irritated, frustrated, upset, angry, fearful, 
worrisome, right? You're becoming a slave to that thing. You're allowing that external to determine the internal. And anytime the external determines the internal, anytime we allow others to determine how we will live or how we will feel, we're allowing ourselves to be bound up. We're allowing ourselves to be bound which that, by that which is beyond us, which is essentially to become a slave to that thing. The problem with this is that not only does this make for like a pretty miserable way to live, but this is like the opposite of the whole story of the Bible and, and the whole purpose of the life of Jesus. <laughs> the Exodus is one of the primary, primary themes found throughout the Old Testament. And how does that story go? You have the people of God who have been enslaved. They cry out, God rescues them, right? Sends Moses. He brings them through the desert, this long journey through the desert, and then eventually they make their way into the promised land. This is a pattern. This is the premise for like so many aspects of our lives. It's like slavery, the slavery in Egypt can be seen as a stand-in for like, um, for things like the worldview you were handed. It can be seen as a stand-in for like systemic injustice. It can be a stand-in for the self. It's a stand-in for anything that we become slaves to. All the things that we will allow to determine who we will be. All the things that we need to be rescued from. Then you have the desert, which is this stand-in for like undoing and unlearning, right? At some point, you were, in the beginning, you were handed this particular worldview, and at some point, that worldview was challenged, or you had to unlearn or undo some things. That's the desert. The desert is a place of, of undoing. The desert is a, is a picture of the death of self, and it's only going through the desert that then you can make your way into the promised land, the reorder. That is the new way. That is the life that comes after death, Right? This path, this, this pattern is essentially the path that leads to freedom. The whole story of the Bible is about rescue and freedom. And then we, because of the self, become slaves to the external rather than dying to the self and stepping into the freedom that God intended for us to experience. We stay in Egypt rather than doing the difficult work of crossing the desert in order to get to the fullness of the promised land. When you look at the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, his whole purpose was to bring freedom. Freedom from the law, freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from the self. First Corinthians, uh, sorry, Galatians 5, Paul says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And yet we continue to allow ourselves to be burdened by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is why the invitation of Jesus is to take up the cross daily, to die to the self daily. You die to the self daily so that you will not again be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Look at what Luke 9 says. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So if we are to be the disciples of Christ, if we are to be the ones who are following Jesus, Jesus who is the one who is offering us freedom, he says the way that you do this is through this continual death of self because this is where the freedom will be found. The death of self, the death of the ego, is not a one-time thing. It's this ongoing thing. The monarch travels north. 
The only way it makes this journey is through this pattern of death that leads to life, of death that leads to life. The way that we step into the fullness of self, the way that we mature and grow, the way that we find freedom, the way that we travel north is through this continual pattern and process of dying to the self. Let me give you one more thing here that might help us in this process and then we'll wrap up. Two words, cognitive diffusion. Have you heard this? Um, This is new to me, cognitive diffusion. So basically the idea is that we have this tendency to over-identify with our thoughts. Our thoughts that are the result of the self, of our particular perception and understanding of the world, and if we're not careful, we, and if we're not mindful of this, our thoughts can become like very controlling. So cognitive diffusion is about noticing and being aware of our thoughts, about observing our thoughts rather than getting caught up in them and buying into them. It's about being aware of your actual process of thinking so that you can objectively, objectively respond to an issue, a situation, or a problem, right? For example, the, the traffic thing has been like really hitting home with so many of you. Let's talk about that. If you get stuck behind somebody, somebody cuts you off in traffic, rather than just reacting with some sort of frustration or anger, rather than just grunting and shouting and swearing or whatever you're doing, you acknowledge that thought or that feeling rather than getting caught up in it. And then by acknowledging it first, it allows you to go, man, that was really frustrating. But I'm not going to allow like their dumb action to disrupt or disturb my inner being. Easier said than done. (laughs) Or when your spouse says, hey, did you do that thing I asked you to do? Rather than getting defensive or offended because like I did it, like why would you think I wouldn't do it? Or rather than getting defensive because you accidentally forgot, right? This is the idea that it allows you to go, okay, I'm acknowledging the thing that's going on inside of me. That way I can respond in a better way. My ego, myself, may be the thing that wants to defend or attack because I actually did forget and I'm sorry and now she's calling me out on it and now I feel like I have to protect myself. I have to defend the self. But if I tune into that thing, that thing that's stirring within me allows me to die to that and go, hi, you know what, honey, I, I, I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry is dying to the self. I'm sorry. Right, so let me give you three kind of... Uh, cognitive diffusion techniques, really simple that, may, that you may find helpful, you may find them ridiculous, it's fine, whatever, take them, leave them, I don't care. Let's see, so number one, it's called the external voice. So when you're in the middle of something and you feel that thing starting to well up within you, you feel that anxiousness, that nervousness, that anger, that frustration, whatever that thing is, you feel it stirring, you feel yourself bristling, right? Here's what you do. You say to the self, either internally or externally, I notice I'm having the thought that, dot, dot, dot. I notice I'm having the feeling that, dot, dot, dot. I notice I'm having the feeling like I'm getting really angry because my wife is asking me about the thing that I forgot to do. (laughs) I notice that. But what that does, the whole premise and purpose of that, is that you give this space between the self and the thought. You give this space between you and the self. And in doing so, it allows you to respond appropriately rather than react inappropriately. It's just giving you a little separation and reminding you that you are not your thoughts. These thoughts are happening all the time. Are you going to allow them to control you or are you going to like be mindful of them? Okay, so here's the second thing. First thing, uh, this internal voice. I'm having the thought. I notice I'm having the thought that. 
I notice I'm the feeling that. The second thing is, thank your mind. Say thank you to your mind. It may seem silly, but the next time you have this unhelpful or unhealthy thought that pops into your, into your head, maybe it has, it's some sort of fear-based thought, right? Just simply acknowledge that. Say, thank you, mind. I actually did this the other day. Uh, I was walking through, through, through our like, property in our woods, and there was a snake. Don't tell my wife. There was a little snake, and then immediately like, my body went, yeah, like that. You know, like you get that instinct. Like, Bleh. And uh, then I, I told my brain, like, one, it was just like a little tiny, like it was like a little black snake. So I was like glad it was there. But I told my mind, I was like, okay, thank you for that, right? Like, thank you for that. You're trying to protect me. But it's okay, it's good, that's a good snake, I get it, I understand that. So when you come into a situation, you have a thought pops up, and, and it's like you notice that, you just say, thank you, mind, because your brain thinks it's like protecting you, even if it's not being super helpful. So you're just trying to create this space, and you're watching your thoughts, you're being mindful of those thoughts. So uh, this in- internal voice, I notice I'm having the thought, that, or Thank you, brain. Thank you, mind, for protecting me, even though, like, I don't need you right now. The third thing is this. This may be a little silly, but if you imagine your mind like a web browser, you imagine your mind like a web browser, and then your thoughts are like pop-up ads. Blink, 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 fear, bloop, worry, bloop, anxiety, bloop, stress, all these different things that pop into your brain on a regular basis. Right? Well, how do you block pop-up ads? Well, you should install some software that keeps them out in the first place. But anyways, if a couple get through, how do you get rid of those things? You click out of them, don't you? You just click, click, X out of them. So when those thoughts start to show up, bloop, insecurity, bloop, fear, bloop, anxiety, click, click, don't need that, click, click, not helpful, click, click, that's not who I am, click, click, I do matter, you just click out of them, you X out of them. Because the whole purpose and idea is that you're just trying to give yourself some space from this, right? Cognitive diffusion is about learning to become a bit more objective with your thoughts and your feelings, your emotions, the ego, the self, right? You know, I constantly find myself in positions where people will come to me and they will like, like start telling me about stuff they're going through. I'm going through this. I have this on my plate. Man, this has really got me stressed out. Can you pray over me? Whatever. Okay, it's all good. I, I enjoy being a part of that. When I am not dealing uh, personally with their situation, I feel like sometimes, not always, but sometimes I can actually give pretty good advice. Sometimes. It's not because I'm like super smart. It's not because I'm wiser than any of the rest of you. It's just because I'm like an objective third party. So I can see the situation without the blurred perspective of the self. Right? This is kind of the idea behind the cognitive uh, diffusion stuff. It's like the other day, my wife w- was wrestling with the decision, and she's like, well, I really want to do this, but if I, if I do that, then this is going to cause some issue over here with, with some of these people, but if I don't do this, then this is going to cause some issue over here with these people, and, I just, and she's going back and forth, and finally she came to the place, she said, well, so what should I do? And so I just said, hey, they're both good options. You, you're free to do what you want, obviously, but here's the, the question for you is not how do I make the most people happy here? The question for you is, which of these like, decisions is going to reduce the overall amount of stress in my life, and which of these decisions is going to bring the most joy and value to my life or to the life of my family? Right? And so then she was able to take all of that and then like, do the opposite. I'm just kidding. She, <laughs> she was able to take all of that and then make the decision that was best for her, right? So being the third party 
allowed for me to be a bit more objective about the situation. If we can learn to be the watcher of our thoughts and, and our emotions and our feelings, it allows us to be a bit more objective. To be a bit more objective is actually, to me, I think, kind of like dying to the self, which then allows us to respond rather than to react. To react to a situation is to allow the external to determine my behavior, which essentially is making me a slave to that thing or that person. To respond, on the other hand, is to hear, to acknowledge, to notice, to pay attention, and then to not get all caught up in that. And then it allows you to determine how you're going to experience this, this moment and this life. And this, this is where the freedom is. You can't control so much of what's happening around you, but you can control how you respond. When Jesus is told, give us a sign, he doesn't react. He doesn't allow the self or the ego to react. He doesn't feel the need to, to defend or prove. He dies to the self and in doing so, it allows him to respond. And how does he respond? The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. The only sign I'm going to give you is that you must die to the self because that is where life is found, the life that is found after the death of self. This is where the freedom is. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And this is this continual ongoing process that you must take up your cross daily and follow him. By the way, taking up your cross daily, I don't think was meant to be like a burdensome task that we're just dragging the weight of the cross with us. I think taking up your cross daily is meant to be your path to freedom. It's meant to be your path to freedom. And just like the monarch, the only way we make the journey north, the only way we grow in wisdom and maturity and freedom is through this continual process. Die to the self so that you may live. Die to the self so that you may live. In each and every situation that you come across, when you start to feel those things stirring within you, you die to the self so that you may live, so that you will not be slave to anybody or anything because, because it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not take up the yoke of slavery again. This portion of our service uh, we do, it's, it's always been one of my favorite portions of the service where we just give you some space to respond. Um, to not just, you know, sing one song and then we head out, but to have a few minutes to do business with God. And uh, over the course of this series, um, it's sort of taken on a bit of a new context for me because what we do in this moment, what we call response time, is that you have the opportunity, as I say, to do business with God, to, to die to self, to step into the fullness and the newness of life uh, that comes in Christ. Every week we, we offer communion. Uh, we have communion stations around the room. If you're watching online, you can participate with whatever elements you have, your coffee and donuts or whatever. It's the, the, the substance of the elements is far less important than uh, the spirit in which we're approaching it spirit in which we're approaching God. And the reality is that communion, 
is, is an image of dying to the self. It's an image of saying, I'm, I'm identifying with the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross for us. And I'm identifying with the blood of Jesus that was spilled on our behalf. And it's a way of saying, I am dying to myself and I'm, I'm taking on this instead, I'm taking on this life in Christ. We also have prayer partners uh, around the room um, and online you can uh, click, I, I want prayer, and someone will pray with you online as well. That oftentimes can also be a dying to the self because it can be a, a moment of, of vulnerability to stand up and move to someone and let everyone in the room see that you're going to someone to pray with you. A lot of times we don't want to do that. We don't want to admit our need. And instead, if we can die to ourselves, get over that pride and say, you know what, inviting the God of the universe into my specific problem might be a helpful thing to do. Benefit from that. And so again, if you're in the room, we have communion stations, we have prayer partners on both sides of the room. We have the prayer wall on this side of the room. If you just wanna go write down your prayer and symbolically let go of it, that is also a dying to the self. But I'm gonna pray and we're gonna give you a few minutes just to respond. You're not on a time limit. Go take as long as you need. Nobody's gonna take it away from you. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. We're grateful that you have created us the way that you've created us. And we're grateful that through all of the things in life that are obstacles to us, all of the things in life that we allow to to bind us and to define us externally. We're grateful that you have also given us your spirit to live within us, that we don't have to define ourselves and be bound and, and conform to external things, but that we can live outward from your spirit into the world, that we can be a part of making earth as it is in heaven. So God, in these next few moments, as we respond, as we pray and meditate and take communion, we pray that you would speak to us. God, uh, help us to hear clearly what it is that you're saying to us today. And help us to know clearly what it is that you want us to do about it. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We especially thank you for the empty tomb. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for taking some time out of your week to spend a little bit of time with us here on the Foundry Church podcast. Uh, if you would like more information about who we are and what we do and what we believe, uh, you can check us out at our website, thefoundryc.org. It's the foundry, just the letter C, dot O-R-G. There should be a link to that in the show notes if I've done my job well. Uh, you can also reach out to us if you'd like to start a conversation or have any questions we can answer for you. You can send an email to info at thefoundryc.org. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to, uh, like I said, answer any questions that you've got uh, or respond to uh, comments or suggestions that you may have. Uh, for now, though, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Foundry Church Podcast. We'll see you next time.